Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. We are in day number four and we just finished visiting the church of Kfar Kana and we are heading back to the bus to drive all the way to Nazareth. And we will learn about Jesus' early life and we're going to learn about historical Jesus from human standpoint and what influenced Jesus' childhood and his schooling and what affected his life to become today what is known as a teacher, as a rabbi. And all the events, what we're going to talk about, took place between the Iftael Valley, where Cana of Galilee, and the capital of Galilee, Tsiporis, a huge, also a Roman, Hellenized Jewish town, and the area of the Jezreel Valley, which is nearby Nazareth. So what we're going to drive through is the area and the locations of the playground of the historical Jesus, Jesus as a man. Many people write about the problem of the missing years of the early childhood of Jesus. And in the Western mindset, it's a problem. In the Eastern mindset, it is not a problem at all. Let me explain. Simply, that's how Eastern ancient people and cultures write biographies. They do not have a Western chronology mentality. Like when you do a biography for a person in the 21st century, you write from his birth all the way to his death, everything. But in the Middle East, ancient people do biographies by mentioning only few circumstances about the person's birth. Then, if there is something important while the person is growing up, it will be mentioned. And then you begin the biography with them doing what was the most important event in their lives, what they were known for. And this is how it is for every Old Testament character. So the writers of the gospel are influenced by the Old Testament mentality. Only you write the most important events of a person's life or what did he do to be unique and different in the ancient world. Of course, the writers about Jesus mentioned and wrote in the same manner. All we know about Pontius Pilatus, even Josephus Flavius, and even Caesar Augustus are only the circumstances of their birth and something unusual or unique or important that happened while they were growing up and then the biography begins with their adult life. And this is the way they write in the first century. And also, there is not enough 
place like uh, papers or documentations is so expensive to document things so they will not write about everything you have done in your life they will write the most significant situations and events what happened in your life and the same applies for jesus look in the gospel what luke talks about some circumstances at jesus birth he speaks about the family visit to jerusalem to the temple when he was 12 years old and when he was asking questions among the scribes at a young age and the more important are the events the more is written about it look the last week of jesus life in jerusalem is one fourth of luke one third of the book of matthew one third of mark and half the book of john jesus followers believed that what he said in the last week of his life was the most important entire thing and this is why it was documented during this bus ride we will learn about jesus the man we will talk about his childhood we will learn about his home his hometown where we're heading to nazareth we will talk about also and learn about his education as a jewish kid in the first century in nazareth we will talk about his teaching methods even his lifestyle his dress his customs we are going to talk about jesus as he lived and operated in the first century of the common era as a man like me and like you it is so important to understand the historical jesus a man who was born to a woman who grew up as a child in nazareth and he was like other kids in that jewish towns look what in the book of hebrews says it tells us about how he grew in stature and learned from things he suffered he learned obedience in the school of suffering he's a man a kid who ate who wept also and he laughed he was a kid in all respect look what the scripture references about jesus as a man it says in hebrew 2 verses 17 and 18 therefore he had to be made like his brethren in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of god to make expectation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered and been tempted he is able to help those who are tempted look what is the word because he himself has suffered discipline suffering is part of our christian walk do not run away from it it's important for us to mature like jesus he suffered too anyway look at hebrews 4 15 for we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin in the morning as he was returning to the city he was hungry that's mentioned in matthew 21 18. so he was a man in all aspects let me explain more by giving you examples how they did see jesus in history in order to understand the man jesus christ we will start from the byzantine period in the fourth century they saw historical jesus as a grand emperor 
with a halo around his head. I don't know if you seen an old icons and they saw and they showed Jesus as like Emperor Constantine and with his all of his like presence with the halo around his head. These are the images in our minds in the fourth century. And until today, Orthodox like see Jesus this way. In the Middle Ages or medieval period, in Europe, like in the 11th century crusader time, they saw him as a defeated knight. In their mindset, it was the crucifixion image, the defeated victim of Jesus on the cross, and that he was unfair to him to be crucified, and they want to come and liberate him and to be victorious over the victim mentality. In the 18th century, they saw him, during the Enlightenment period also, they saw him as a successful middle-class person. This is where in the 18th, 19th century, things just became to really Renaissance period in Europe, and things started to develop the Enlightenment period. And this is how they saw Jesus as a middle-class person. Today, in Israel, how we see Jesus in the Middle East, we see him as a liberator of a movement, not of religion, a movement. We see him as a savior, will bring us freedom from occupation and oppression and unfair society. And also, Americans today, how they see him, they see him way different. They see him as a victorious, as powerful, freedom, bluish eyes, blonde hair, and a very nice, powerful, image the bottom line we cast god in our own image and our own understanding and it's very true when it comes to jesus we see him according to our own culture we lost the real image of jesus of the first century and this is why i'm going to give you more examples in order to understand the real jesus christ to explain myself more, I would like to share with you some personal stories from my childhood. And my dad made us watch very old cowboy movies. Like when I was a kid, like 9, 10 years old. And he was obsessed with the actor John Wayne. My dad made us watch these old cowboy movies all the time. I don't know why, but maybe because he was a policeman. <laughs> this is why he loved the cowboy movies. But anyway, John Wayne is not even his real name. His real name is Marion Michael Morrison. You know that Jesus is not his real name. His real name is Yeshua. We will talk about his name later in details. Everything you know about John Wayne was only from the movie's perspective. What really we know about his own personality, how he was behaving at home. Was he married? Did he have kids? Was he a good person, a bad person? We don't know it. We mostly see him through the eyes of the movies. And this is the same thing when it comes to Jesus. We have imagined him and we've seen Jesus through eyes of the movies. Even, even from your childhood, even going to Bible school and every Sunday learning about Jesus. You've been seeing him and his image was distorted. Now it's the perfect time of history to know and learn about the real image of Jesus Christ. Who is this historical Jesus? 
who is the real Jesus, how we can understand him as a man. It is very important and very possible to know the historical Jesus. Why I'm saying that? Because when you think about Jesus in the West, you only think about theological Jesus. You think only about spiritual Jesus and it does not cross your mind about the historical Jesus as the man Jesus in flesh and blood like me and you. In the East, when we think about Jesus, here we first think about him as a man. And if you think about him as a man first, you can grab hold of him in the spirit. Let me repeat. If you grab hold of Jesus as a man in the flesh, and he passed through all the sufferings and all the anxieties and all the temptations like me and you in flesh and blood, then we can grab hold of him better in the spirit in a deeper way to follow his life from birth, childhood, all the way on the cross to resurrection. He was like a man like me and like you. And it's important to know the historical Jesus. And today most scholars say they can differentiate between the spiritual Jesus, theological Jesus, and historical Jesus. Only separate just for the purpose of studying. That's all. Let me confirm what I'm teaching also from Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed on an apostle time. I am telling the truth, I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Here, I want you to notice the key verse, verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Of course, there's different translations to this scripture and to this key verse 5, but I'm using the New King James, which is the best to go to the Old Hebrew. The man, Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus. So I believe it's very important, it's very essential to know Jesus the man. And because according to the witness of scripture, he is and he alone is the mediator between God and us. So it's very important to know him. If you desire a deeper relationship with God, the one God and the only God, it's extremely important that you know the historical Jesus. And it's very possible today to know Jesus from 2,000 years ago, to know Jesus as a man who grew up in Nazareth, who taught in Galilee, made his way to Judea, taught and died in Jerusalem. And this is why all of you here in the bus is coming to tour the land, because you want to know more about Jesus. And with confidence, I can tell you, it's so possible nowadays to know more Jesus as a man, the historical Jesus. In the Western mindset for so many years, you're thinking about Jesus and you know him as a savior and as salvation, bringing salvation to the world, which is great, but we're gonna go more deeper than that. 
because now in history we need not only to learn about the salvation which is important but not enough we need to know more and dig deeper to understand the historical Jesus in order to understand his message I'm speaking about the capacity to go back and clarify correct and confirm the image and the pictures of the flesh and blood of Yeshua the rabbi the teacher why we can do that simply because the tools have become available to us there was an enormous advance in studies of archaeology history rabbinical teachings and the book of the Mishnah and a lot of scripture in the last like 20 years a tremendous advances in the studies in the land here in the Holy Land in Israel exploring about the historical Jesus there are hundreds and thousands of archaeological sites that have never yet been excavated which will lead us in the near future to understand more about the history behind this man and to learn about how Jesus lived in the first century the culture the custom the context so many new sites are discovered today in archaeology and we are learning more and more about the first century period we are learning about the lifestyle of the Jews living in the first century we are learning about the language the very words that they used even scholars today can tell you similar sentences Jesus pronounced from his own mouth so the level of studies has been enormous and that's the perfect time of history to understand the historical Jesus and in order to do that we're gonna go back together to learn about his birth and you know Jesus actually grew up in a town <laughs> very small one where are we heading Nazareth it's not even a town it's like a very small village uh, probably the population at his time was not more than 400 at most 450 people and this is like a tiny place even you can't find it in a map if you want to see where is Nazareth located and Jesus grew up like in Nazareth his childhood with a devout Jewish pious family we know his mom Miriam and his father Joseph were religious pious Jews and they were observing Jews good parents and when they lived it was under occupation Roman occupation so there was a great turmoil look what is written in the Mishnah about Jewish life in the first century and the book of the Mishnah is a collection of Jewish oral tradition known as the oral Torah it's also the first major work of rabbinic literature it was compiled at 200 AD in Tiberias not far from here and the book of the Mishnah will tell us a lot about historical facts and actually literature about Jewish education of the first century and when it was compiled in this 200 AD second century it's not far from the period of Jesus look what it says a Jewish education at five years of age you start to study scripture at 10 you start to study the Mishnah at 13 you subject yourself to the commandments like you go to do bar mitzvah it's like the religious coming of age ceremony in Jerusalem at age 15 you start to study the Talmud 
it's a rabbinical legal like documentations halakha halachot the way of life to talmud is the interpretations of the mishnah anyway we're going to learn all about that later at age 18 you get to marry like any jewish kid bridal canopy is a jewish weddings which we spoke earlier about it at age 20 you start for livelihood you start to pursue your job your father's job your dream what to become either a teacher or what you want to be at age 30 is the peak of strength the Mishnah says and this is the peak of choosing your vocation and destiny in life age 30 at 40 it says wisdom at 50 able to give counsel at 60 an old age and 70 fullness of years at age the age of strength at 90 a bent body at 100 as good as dead and completely passed from the world this is written in the book of the mishnah if you liked the reference is the book of avot chapter 5 verse 21 but let me that was like a general idea about the mishnah speaking about jewish life in the first century but we're going to go more into details about the geopolitical and social status of Galilee and Nazareth during Jesus when he was growing up. You have to understand that in the first century, people were so much simple. It's a simple way of life. You know your olive press, you know your vineyards, and most is based on agriculture, farming, fishermen. And it was like time of, as I said, crisis, time of turmoil and under occupation. Maybe it's very hard for you to understand this because Americans has been all about freedom. You're a free country. But when Jesus was in the Middle East, in the land of Palestine, under Roman occupation, it was paying taxes. It was hard. It was oppressed. And... People just did not know what is the taste of freedom. So he grew up as a refugee. We know that earlier in the story, his mom and dad traveled all the way from Bethlehem to Egypt and from Egypt all the way back to Nazareth to have his childhood. Even after his childhood, Jesus traveled all the way to Jerusalem, to Galilee. So he was like a refugee. And it was not an easy life. And you have to understand that Rome have the power and Rome is very strong. And we know that Herod the Great died at 4 BCE. And when he died, his three sons ruled three regions in the land of Palestine. We know about Herod Archelaus. He was the weakest among the two brothers. The Herod Philippi and Herod Antipas. Herod Archelaus ruled the area of Jerusalem. Herod Philippi ruled the area of Golan Heights. And Herod Antipas ruled the area of Nazareth, Tsipori, and Galilee. And this is the period of history that Jesus came to and lived under the rule of Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was a more cruel even than his father. He imposed so much taxes on the people and he wanted to control and he turned the city called Sipori, just about three miles from Nazareth, from here, 
into a major cosmopolitan city, the only and the biggest one in Galilee. And later on, he built Tiberius and named it after Caesar Tiberius. But Herod Antipas was determined to be not only bad like his father, but worse than his father. And he was financially and economically wanted to gather so much money and to become a king of Israel like his father. Look what Josephus Flavius tells us. He imposed so much taxes on the people in Galilee. And he collected annually equivalent to 200 tons of gold from a very poor region like Nazareth and all the surrounding villages. Of course, I want to tell you, in note, when you read Josephus Flavius, when he mentions numbers, always please take two digits out. For example, if he says 200 tons of gold, people and historians in ancient time tend to exaggerate a lot. So maybe it's a two tons of gold. And if he says there is like 10,000 priests in Jericho, take another like two digits, it's like a 100 priests in Jericho. Anyway, so imagine all this amount of tax and the farmers were oppressed and the carpenters, the workers, the fishermen, they have to pay almost seven kind of taxes to the Roman Empire. And not only that, they have to pay more taxes all the way when they go to Jerusalem, to the temple. So their life was tough. Their life was hard. And the majority of the people were like less than middle class. And we know only 10% was like middle class and few was upper class, only the Caesars and the emperors because they owned all the land. And this is why a lot of zealots came into scene. A lot of Jews, fierce warriors, were against the Romans. And because they don't want to give taxes or not let Herod Antipas rule over them because he was so cruel. Look, he divorced his wife in order to marry another woman, causing both to commit adultery. And you know the story of his brother, Herod Philippi, wife. Anyway, so... Under this setting of occupation, a cluster of little communities, that it was not fair for them. I mean, it was a harsh life, a hard life, and no justice. And this is where, where how Jesus grew up. And we know that Jesus like his, followed his father's trade, and his father was not very rich. He did not make much money. And they had only what the basics they need. They were content. And maybe his father was a tecton. He could be a stone worker or like a builder, a constructor, or a handyman, very skilled. And no doubt that Jesus with his father has spent a considerable amount of time in learning from him, in Sipori, working in construction, which we're going to learn all about joseph job later on and just to his point on his side he was not a carpenter all right that's mistranslation he was a tecton in hebrew and greek and we'll take more about it in more details and probably jesus also helped in building the sipori as i mentioned and this is why jesus knows some greek also 
So anyway, the bottom line, it was under heavy taxation. It was a land of peasants and prophets. There were three kinds of villages in the first century in this area of Galilee. Number one, Jewish simple villages with farming and, you know, only your olive press, you know, only your like vineyards and, you know, only within like not more than a mile or two of your circumstances. It's a simple way of life. Number two, there were pagan Roman cities, which is the area ruled by Herod Philippi too. It's about power. It's about Rome and it's about like stations for horses and it's the world. It's huge money, income. These were the pagan Roman cities, big. And there were third kind of cities called Hellenized cities. Hellenized are Jews choosing to be under the Roman control and pay taxes for them and just compromise. It's like Sephoris. We know that Sephoris in Galilee was a huge Hellenized Roman city. So they live under the Roman control. And they decided not to be pious or not to be only like they compromised on their religion. And for example, in Sephoris, we see a synagogue with a Greek mosaic in the center of the synagogue. What is a Greek mosaic doing in a synagogue? It's a zodiac. What is it doing there? So Hellenized, they chose the power, they chose the money and compromise for their religion. Why? The people that did not compromise stayed simple. Small towns like Nazareth, like Jesus, pious town. And among all this geopolitical situation and all the background I gave, there was an intense messianic speculation. It's called the Messianic Age, that someone will come to free the Jews from this terrible oppression of Herod Antipas and the Romans. So the disciples were waiting for someone, for a savior, to come and give them real freedom. This is what they anticipated. And it was into this world that Jesus came to a tiny village like Nazareth, a little village of farmers and shepherds. And very traditional and tribal and suffering under real taxes and tributes and all kind of ties to the Romans. That's the perfect time of history for a Messiah to come. And this is the story from the gospel. What we're going to learn twice. An angel from the Lord appeared once to Joseph and one time to Mary to announce about Jesus coming to the world. Remember in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, Joseph receives an appearance of the angel of the Lord in a dream. Remember he was betrothed to Mary. He was not married yet and she was becoming pregnant and he was a good just man. And you know, they understand in the first century culturally, if you're betrothed, becoming wife is pregnant, she has to be stoned to death. And here is Joseph, do not know what to do. He was under distress. And look what happened in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And the angel 
said to Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The key verse is like an order, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now, when you read it in the English, it's not so much clear, but in the original Hebrew and Greek, it's an order from the angel. And if the angel gives you an order, you have to obey. This is a classical Hebrew language. The scholars call it Hebraic way of talking. You shall call his name Yeshua. Call his name. You shall call him. In English, you say you just name him Jesus. But this is a more serious message. Now look at another scripture. This is the second time the same angel is appearing, but this time not to Joseph, but to Miriam, to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. It's a parallel account. Look what it says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. You see here the key verse, the same language, and you shall call his name Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So twice here he is called Yeshua, because he's going to Yeshua, his people from their sins. What is the word Yeshua mean? This is what we're going to learn. Yeshua literally means the one who saves. Saves what? Saves his people from what? From their sins. So your name is your calling in life. Your name is your identity. Your name is your character. Your name is your destiny. You need to know and learn about even your name today in the spirit. Names also in the Bible are very important. It's so simple. You ask me any question from the Bible, I go back to Hebrew, to the name. We can know the identity of the names. Let me give you more examples about that. Look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And this scripture you are familiar with. Look what it says. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the same language. This is this direct order from the same angel even. You know, what is the name of that angel? Gabriel. And he says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, let me go another level, second level. Remember I told you Hebrew is in levels, in layers, in images. So we're going to study about the name of Yeshua. The first level, we said Yeshua means someone who saves. The second level, it's not the name itself. Because there were Yeshua was a common name in the first century. It's that him, Jesus, is uncommon. 
So his name is common, but his calling is uncommon. It's different. And when it says you shall call his name Emmanuel, you know what is the word Emmanuel means? God with us. So it's the meaning behind the name that brings you the destiny. It's not the name itself. So there is nothing magical with the name Yeshua. Actually, we can't put God in a box. If you say Jesus, whatever you say, Jesus, whatever you say, Yeshua, it's about your intentions of your heart. This is the way how it functions. And nothing magical in the name of Jesus. I'll give you one example. Once I had a pastor, and the pastor told me, Andre, I want you to tell me exactly how we pronounce the name Jesus in Hebrew. Is it Yeshua? Is it Yeshua? Is it Yeshua? Is it? I said, Pastor, why are you asking me this? He said, because if I baptize people in the same name and pronounce the same name of Yeshua, it will be powerful. I said, Pastor, it's not about that. It's about the heart. It's about the intention of the heart. It's the meaning behind the names. It's not the names itself. Anyway, I hope I made this point very clear. Let me give you another example. Adam. Adam is the first human being's name. And Adam is taken from Adama. Adama literally means dirt or the earth. So this is a play on words. And there's a meaning behind each word. Another meaning, remember Jacob? By the way, Jacob fought with the angel and his name turned to Israel. You know what Israel means? Ish-ra-el in Hebrew. Ish means man. Ra means strong. El means God. The strong man of God. This is when his identity and his calling and destiny was released. He got a new name. So everyone of us, we have new names in the spirit. So it's important to understand about the names in scripture. And let us go to a third level of understanding about names. I told you Jewish way of thinking is into layers and there's deeper and deeper layers and meanings. And when you give the name for a child in the first century, when you name your child in the first century and Jewish kids till today, let me answer you by reading scripture, Luke chapter 2 verse 21 and when eight days were completed before his circumcision his name was then called Yeshua it's amazing why you name a child not on his birth like today in the West they name him when he was born no you name him on his eighth day at circumcision the day the kid the Jewish kid gets circumcised it's called Bar Milah today in Hebrew, is the day you give him his name. And this is what happened to Jesus. And why does this happen? Because there is a connection between circumcision and destiny. It's a covenant. When you're circumcised, there is a covenant with your creator and whenever you have the covenant with your creator your destiny is released 
By the way, in the first century, there were five common names that we find in ancient Jewish literature from that time period. Number one common name, of course, is Yeshua. We just spoke about it. Second common name is Yohanan, which is John. By the way, if you see John in the first century, say, John, how are you doing? Did you see Jesus around today? He will not listen to you. He will not understand. If you say Yohanan, he will understand you. And what do the word Yohanan means? Yohanan in Hebrew comes from the root letter Lechanen in Hebrew, which means the one who prepares the way. The one who is responsible in what's going to happen very soon. So his name, Yohanan, John, is his destiny. It's his calling in life. Number three common name is Joseph. In Hebrew, Yosef. Literally, Yosef, like my dad's name, Yosef, Joseph, literally in Hebrew means the one who provides. The provider. He wants to make sure that his family lacks nothing, despite he is not really rich, but he's content. Then we have another name called Miriam. And another common name is Shimon. So it's important to understand the names in Hebrew. And these are the five common names in the area of Galilee in the first century. Let me explain for you how in the West you got the name Jesus. And the name Jesus in English has a compiled linguistic history. And Jesus is anglicized from the Greek name Jesus, found in the New Testament. And this name, Jesus or Jesus, and by the way, in the medieval English, the word G, the letter G, was pronounced as Y. And this is why they call it Jesus, Jesus. And this is the Greek word used for Jesus. So Jesus is not a translation of Jesus, name in Hebrew, but rather it is a transliteration. So the original name is Yeshua. And there is some significant number of historians starting to believe that the name Jesus is actually derived from the Greek name before Jesus, even the name Zeus, instead of the once believed Jewish name Yahuwah or Jehovah. But I will don't agree about that. Because the word they try, the scholars, to compare the name Jesus to the god Zeus which was already an established God for centuries before the introduction of Jesus, the Son of God, and God himself. And for this information, we learn that the Greeks appeared to do all that what they could to remove the Jewish roots of the Son of God. They also tried to relate uh, the God Zeus and compare it to Jesus and one of the comparisons are the story of Jesus' birth, that he was born in a cave in a manger located in Bethlehem. They also say Zeus was born in a cave on the island of Crete. Jesus was born in a cave in order to escape Herod, the king of the Jews, who wanted to prevent Christ from possibly uprising him because he was scared. Herod the Great was scared from Christ. Zeus was born in a cave in order to hide from his own father, Cronos, who wanted to eat him to prevent him from possibly uprising against 
the king of the gods. Anyway, I'm just giving you this example to prove for you in the world there is always rises something to contradict the story of Jesus and to compare it to other gods and to fake the reality and the importance of this king. Anyway, let's get back to the theme and learn about the childhood of Jesus. And here the Holy Family went all the way from Egypt up to Nazareth after Herod died 4 BCE. And we don't know exactly how many years the Holy Family were in Egypt. Scholars say between one to two years. So let's say now they are living in Nazareth. And we know from the book of the Mishnah, at age three, you start to learn about the Hebrew letters. It's only 22 letters. It's very easy to learn. If you know 500 words, you can easily start speaking the language. Anyway, Jesus is learning the Hebrew letters. And at age five, we know also he will start to learn about Torah. And he will be sent all the way to a Beit Midrash, which is a Jewish synagogue. And in the synagogue, there is a room for the kids. A new language, this is the kindergarten that he will start reciting after his rabbi. And there will be all the kids from the village of Nazareth together. Won't be much kids because Nazareth, we said, is a small village. And Joseph can't afford to buy a scroll to teach Jesus from home. Imagine, imagine one scroll of the book of Isaiah will cost Joseph one year's salary 12 months of hard work in order to buy the scroll of Isaiah. Why scrolls are very expensive? Because they're made of leather, of animals of skin, and it's not cheap. And someone important have the scribe have to write on it, so it's very expensive. So Joseph would rather send his son all the way from a young age to the Beit Midrash. And what happens with all the kids there, the same age, they will start to recite scripture. This is the way they study in the Middle East and this part of the world. You study by memorization, memorization, memorization. You study by repetition, repetition, repetition. You study not to understand. You study to revere. In the West, we make you study to comprehend. In the West, you ask questions. Why is this happening? I need to understand this in your logical mind. The East is not about the mind. The East is about the heart. Because if you learn scripture from your heart, then it will come to your mind. Because it's all about relationships. So this is the approach Jesus is taking towards scripture. And this is the approach we should do. To spend time to read. We spend time to memorize and repeat memorization 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 and that was the style in the first century jesus quote from three books by heart from the old testament the book of isaiah Deuteronomy, and leviticus these are the three major books and he knew scripture by heart he was raised on scripture that himself later became scripture i will challenge you a little bit when do you think Jesus realized that he is scripture? When do you think this moment of revelation took place in his life? The Mishnah tells us at age 
12, they mature. The moment you realize you are scripture, you will mature. I tell you, I'm going to stretch you a little bit with my imagination. Maybe Jesus was sitting at this age in the Beit Midrash and reciting scripture after his rabbi. And at that moment, probably, he realized this is him. This scripture is talking about me. Let us imagine, okay, I'm stretching you. Probably he did not sleep that night. Probably just he kept it to himself. There is no way this is me. <laughs> I am scripture. So what happens at age 12 is maturity. This is the moment Jesus realized as a man, as a child, that he is God. He was able to comprehend it. He was able to understand. Of course, he was God all the time and man in the same time from the moment of his birth, right? But for him as a kid in his conscience to realize he is the son of God, that was revelation. And he probably went to the temple. This is why he went to the temple. And every Jewish kid at age 12, they go there to recite the Shema. Later on, I'll do a teaching about the Shema. The Shema, Shema in Hebrew, Shema, which means to listen. Not listen from your ears, to listen from the heart, which means you're maturing, you're listening. Now you are responsible on your sins. So every Jewish kid will recite the Shema saying that I'm mature. And this is why we see Jesus teaching in the temple from that age. He is doing what God called him to do. And this is when his mom and dad just left and they lost him. How come you can lose your child? Imagine that you lost your child in Disney World or you lost your child in Six Flags or just as a young age, as 12. Of course, you'll be scared. You have no idea how Miriam was scared and how Joseph was so much upset. The Bible tells us that when they left, they discovered there is no Jesus. And probably when they traveled and left Jerusalem, they left with their tribe. You can't travel by yourself. A caravan of men in the front, a woman in the middle, and men in the back. Why? For protection. And probably when Jesus came all the way with his family from Nazareth all the way to Jerusalem, he was with his mom in the center as kids because kids goes with their mothers at a young age. So he's protected. And now they left Jerusalem. They left the temple and there is no Jesus now, I'm going to stretch you a little bit. Maybe Joseph is thinking, no, no, he is still a kid. He is still with his mom and he's spoiled. Or his mom now is thinking, no, he is with his father. He's mature. And he is now becoming a man. So he will be with the men. And when the caravan stopped, Mary went to check on Joseph, whereas Jesus, they did not find him. You have no idea how Miriam was so upset. Even Joseph was more upset because it's so much ashaming. Because as a man, he have to bring his tribe all the way to go back up to Jerusalem to see Jesus again. And you know how much this trip is very, very long to go all the way up? It's very steep if you have been in Jerusalem before. And when they arrived to Jerusalem, they went and saw Jesus in the temple. 
and Mary came to him and listened to these words. She was so mad. What are you doing here, son? You know, if you sometimes lost your child and you saw him, you can be so mad why this happened. And he's marrying, approaching Jesus. What are you doing here, son? Look what Jesus replies. I am in my father's house. When Jesus pronounced these words, Mary had a revelation. From the moment the angel appeared to her, announcing about the birth of Christ through the Holy Spirit, till that moment, everything suddenly made sense. She got a revelation that her son is the Messiah. And this is the first time Jesus has revealed to himself that he is the Messiah. I am where I belong to. What do you want from me? This is where I supposed to be. I am the Messiah. And Mary, I'm going to stretch you a little bit, probably took his hand, grabbed his hand, and silently, without saying any word, took him all the way back to his dad. His dad was so upset. And Mary probably told Joseph, Joseph, you know it. This is our son. He is the Messiah. Let me talk to you about it. You know it in your heart when the angel appeared to you. And both of them went all the way up to Nazareth with a huge revelation to their lives. And everything from that moment made sense to them. And so here in Nazareth, Jesus will continue his education and he will help his father. He go back to study in the Beit Midrash. At the same time, he helped his father. Yeah. After doing bar mitzvah at this age, if the rabbi like you so much and he knows that you are really a good student, he will go to your father and tell your father, this child is really different. He have authority in his words when he recites scripture. And the rabbi will choose and say he will have, be a good rabbi in the near future. So we want him to continue to study. So Jesus also will continue to study and memorize scripture every day of the week. And continue to go to the Beit Midrash. And the custom at that time in the first century after studying Torah, you go and help your father in his job. You always inherit the job of your father. For example, my father was a policeman and a tour guide also, and he inherited that from all way, his grandfather, all the way. We are Maronite Christians. We are the original tour guides. Even I can trace that all the way with the Crusaders when they came. The Maronites helped the Crusaders. They had connection. They had understanding between each other. And even the Maronites were the first tour guides in the 4th century AD. But anyway... You take the tradition of your family, the tradition of your father. And in the West, you think Jesus was a carpenter. Now, that is a misunderstanding in the Western mindset. 
in the Eastern mindset, Jesus' father was a tecton. A tecton is a constructor. Now, there is not much wood in Nazareth. There's only stones, limestone in Nazareth. And that was the main job. And until today, Nazareth is famous for constructors. And until today, Nazareth have the best reputation. If you have good money, income, and you live in Israel, and you want to build a house, you will make a contract with someone, a builder from Nazareth. And until today, they have the best reputation of the best construction workers. And even every family in Nazareth should have a constructor till today. So this is the tradition carried till today. And Jesus would be helping his father as a constructor. You have to understand, out of 10 jobs you do in the first century, eight of them is stone. And only two or three maybe is wood. So he was a constructor. Remember Jesus saying, I am the cornerstone. He knows so much about constructions. Cornerstone is so much important stone. He did not mention anything about carpentry. Jesus said, build your home on a strong foundation. So he know how construction takes place. The Western knows about carpentry because the translation of the King James Bible in the 16th century, the main income and the main job at that time was carpentry. And this is the why the king, King James, put his name also, James. We don't have James in the Bible, we have Jacob, but Yaakov in Hebrew or Jacob in English. But the king wanted to put his name in the scripture, James, and the translation. So the translation was also carpentry. That was the main work in Europe at that time. But anyway, back to the point. Jesus had hard work. So after studying, he will continue in the afternoons to go and help his father. And probably he took a donkey, like two hours on a donkey. Also went to Sifori, which is, we talked about this village that had some Jews, Jewish population there. There won't be much income in Nazareth for Joseph. He would go to Sifori and there's much more work for Jews there. And probably Jesus went with him and learned about construction. So he continued Jesus to study and work. He had a busy life. And this is what we learned from the Mishnah. And he's going to continue to study every day. Guess until what age? Until age 30. Yes, until age 30. You continue to study scripture. It's very hard for us today to open scripture five minutes in the morning. Jesus was studying scripture every single day, reciting it, memorizing it. It's so much important. And what happened at age 30? Only at this age you become a rabbi. And only at this age you can build disciples. And this is how we can see Jesus' ministry started at age 30 and he moved from Nazareth to be like a rabbi in the Sea of Galilee. So here I just gave you a small taste of the historical Jesus, the life of Jesus as a child, as a man like me and like you, living in the first century. Context, custom, culture. We are just arriving in five minutes to downtown Nazareth. 
and all this teaching will take place in the bus and I can see the people really are like tired and they say this is too much teaching this is so heavy give us some time to absorb it I will usually tell them just be like a sponge and receive and receive and receive and then when you go back home you're gonna have time to realize everything you took it inside everything and when you go back home you just release it into different layers now I know this is too much information for the group but as I mentioned also the road from Kfarkana village to Nazareth is only 25 minutes but in traffic it can take more than one hour and we are almost there so I tell the group be ready prepare your stuff what we need because we're going to the Annunciation Church